priorities of the Kansas Chamber in the legislative session opening Monday includes applying a chunk of the state's revenue surplus to slashing personal and corporate income taxes. The organization also seeks to bolster the workforce with a tax credit for companies hiring apprentices. The chamber wants to put heat on lawmakers to make energy costs more competitive between Kansas and nearby states. And another goal, block cities and counties from adopting a patchwork of bans on plastic bags and other materials used at many retail stores. With the Kansas Reflector today are two of the Kansas Chamber's workhorses, Chamber President Alan Cobb and the Chamber's Chief State House Lobbyist, Eric Stafford. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Okay, your mission is to help us wade through your uh, expansive lobbying agenda. But first, I want Mr. Cobb just to kind of describe the landscape at the Capitol, heading, uh, starting with Democrat Laura Kelly having starting her second term and retention of a Republican supermajority. Just kind of give people a sense of, of that tension. I don't think it's changed much. There was tension over the last four years in some issues, but the governor and the legislature worked together on a number of things. Uh, several chamber priorities passed with huge majorities. So I think it's going to be pretty status quo. That's my guess. The question is, does Governor Kelly tack a little left? I don't think she will. I wouldn't be shocked if she did. But you still have the supermajorities, and it's an interesting balance where you supermajorities of Republicans who temper the governor, and the governor tempers the supermajorities of Republicans. So I don't think the tension is going to be much different. Mm-hmm. I it, I would guess that the Kansas House will be a little bit more unified. They lost what one or two, but I feel like they're probably more cohesive. But it's still a supermajority. That's my sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm always an optimist. Mr. Stafford, anything to add? No, I would I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Governor Kelly, by the way, said in an interview that she's going to be much like she has been in the past. No reason to change. She says she's a centrist. And wants to be there, which means I think she's going to make Democrats unhappy in the legislature occasionally, and she'll make Republicans unhappy occasionally in the legislature. So, yeah, that's my guess. Yeah. All right. So let's talk taxes. Let's start with your uh, the chamber's idea of reducing the rates for personal and corporate income taxes. So first, why don't you s- start, Mr. Stafford, and and what's the argument for that? Uh, well, the argument is we need to become more competitive. We need to grow. Uh, we need to attract more business investment. We need to attract individuals here. Uh, and when and it's not just necessarily income taxes. I, I tweeted last night the Tax Foundation released how does your state rank on cell phone taxes? We're the sixth highest cell phone tax burden in the nation. Um, that property, is an outrage. It, it is an outrage. Is that on your agenda? Uh, lowering taxes is on our agenda. It doesn't okay. matter what they so are. So it is. <laughs> All taxes must go down. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I I mean, property taxes uh, pulled very high um, in our uh, CEO poll this year. 72% of business owners surveyed, and that's not a member poll. That is a scientific, blind, random survey of, of Kansas business owners. Um, 72% said the property tax burden is too high and needs to go down. On the corporate and personal income tax side, really, when you look at state receipts, and we're not alone or unique in the state of Kansas in the amount of money that we're actually pulling in now is about 20, 25% higher than it was two years ago, three years ago, largely from the federal just influx of cash that's come in through the the stimulus packages. And every state, when I talk to my counterparts, every state is in the same boat. Uh, A lot of states have taken those revenues and used it to lower their tax rates. Kansas has not yet done so. We will be asking that the legislature do that this year. Okay. Alan Kavik, just think about this for a second. Um, 
there's a big surplus. And that's really what's at play here is that legislators and the governor are trying to decide how to spend the surplus. And you can you can invest in new programs, which would be an ongoing expense, or you can reduce taxation, which affects the what comes into the Treasury. One of your ideas is to actually lower the statewide sales tax, which is at six. The state's part is six and a half percent. Why would that be a good idea? We are either seventh or eighth in combined, highest combined state and local tax rate in the country. I mean, it's good to be in the top 10 generally. That's mm-hmm. not one of them. So cities and counties can add sales tax. Yes. And so once you get it all combined together, you could be purchasing something and it would be a 10% or 11% tax. Well, it tax. is here, here in Shawnee County where, where Eric and I live, and there's certain sales tax districts, I think maybe close to 11. Hmm. So sales tax is a part of commerce. Not all businesses are exempt from sales tax. B2B is sales is exempt, but it certainly has an impact on the economy and, the, and then the personal economy and the ability to, to purchase things, whether it's large ticket items like uh, like automobiles or other things you need for your home. But that's certainly a part of the economic driver. There are states like Colorado that I believe are a relative, relatively flat 4.2, 4.5 sales tax overall. And we're when we're, you're at 10%, that starts impacting businesses, but it also impacts individuals probably more so. And particularly lower income folks, uh, you want to go buy a $5,000 car, which is not a great car. Oh, you're going to be socked with a $500. You can maybe not afford a $5,000 car, but now you have a $500 tax bill. Sarah, you want to lower sales tax, income tax, property taxes. Those are the three legs of the taxation stool. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that and maintain government services? Uh, you'll find out in 2023. Um, we're going to drive off a cliff when a lot of that money is gone? No. What we're uh, looking at is uh, modeling on the income tax reduction. And, and two, and I'll say, let's, let's go back to last year when they uh, voted to eliminate food sales tax. Um, we were neutral. We, we believed that it was tax relief and we were supportive of tax relief. But to Alan's point, and, and your first question was, we believe that it's better to lower the sales tax rate on everything, not just one thing. And oh, then when you're talking recessionary, what's the one thing people buy in a recession? And you're going to eliminate that from the income tax base or from the, from the state revenue base by taking food off the table of, of, from sales tax. It's better to, to lower the overall rate versus exempting big items mm-hmm. from that. So how are we going to do that? Uh, the bill that we're working on, we've uh, researched um, really one of the states that lowered taxes the year after the Brownback tax cuts, and they're getting close to fully eliminating their corporate income tax, and then their personal income tax is very low now, is North Carolina. What they have done is they've taken a growth trigger that says whatever the consensus revenue estimate group, they call it something else in North Carolina, whatever they set for what they think revenues will be, anything over that is going to be used to buy down income taxes. So it's not saying that you have 1.5% growth. Some states have done it that way. They limit growth to 1.5%, 2%. Anything over that can be used. It's whatever consensus revenue estimating group comes back with. If they say we're going to have $8 billion of revenue and we have 8.5, then that extra half, half billion dollars, $500 million, can be used to buy down income tax rates. Okay, so what I've heard some talk about a flat tax going from three individual income tax brackets to one. We're at two. Yeah. We're at two. Yeah. Uh, so what does that do? Uh, it just it gets you more competitive. It's when we talk about fairness. If everybody's paying the same rate, then 
what's more fair than that? Um, so, so the guy making thirty thousand dollars pays the same rate as somebody making thirty million. You'd have some. Well, you'd have the some guy floors. Paying, you'd have some floors to do a minimum yeah. threshold where you don't pay any but income it, tax. Purple state like sorry, to interrupt. Yeah, no, uh, purple states like Colorado have it. Yeah, and they, and their voters they put it on the ballot this year to lower their income tax rate. I think they were four five five, and they lowered it to four two five or four two, and the voters approved it in Colorado. So um, it is. It, the guy who's making $30 million is paying equitable share, 5% of $30 million on income taxes versus 30000 It's still 5%. So, mm-hmm. you know. So, what is your proposal on the uh, finalizing that? Okay. Uh, literally, and, how to, literally what, how what to do you guys before coming over Yeah, that's probably the political buoyancy, whatever. But I, I, Tim, I have to address the, I want to be very polite here about the three legged stool. Yeah. It is an absolute myth, and I am so tired of it. I've been dealing with Kansas politics for 30 years. Property taxes are 98% driven by local government. So Kansas government does not have a three-legged stool. We have two-legged stools, sales and income, plus a whole bunch of little pedestals like send taxes, taxes on intangibles, taxes on cell phones. So, Gaming. So at the state fees. level, it's really income and yeah, sales. But, it, but yeah. I, you should have a whole podcast on the three-legged stool myth. <laughs> well, the property taxes, Amen. I get, I know they're real. Oh, but, but yeah. it's not as, state. As a, tax, as a taxpayer, but the I, I look at all three of them. The legislature has very little to do with it other yeah, than... They'd like to have more control of property taxes, right. but they actually don't. Right. What do you think about Governor Kelly's idea of immediately rolling back the food sales tax, you think that'll actually happen uh, rather than wait a two years to phase it out? I think that it is um, conversations that we've had so far with legislators just in prep for the session. I think it's a very realistic possibility it could happen. Uh, okay. But I also think it'll be part of the bigger tax conversation. Uh, you know, Governor Kelly ran on commercials that she's in the middle of the road. Well, you know, there's going to be a time where, you know, the art of compromising isn't getting only what you want. It's giving up some things that you might not be crazy about either. Right. And I think I think there's some optimism in the Republican-led House and Senate that a negotiated tax bill. Oh, I, that, will that's, come the, that's the point yeah. that I'm getting to. I absolutely yeah. think a that, part of a huge thing. Yeah, I think that there's probably better though. I would think to lower it over a couple of years, just because. Oh, let's face it, we we saw the shock of the Brownback. Uh, tax cuts where the state was not able to absorb it. They should have been able to absorb it. And you're talking honestly. about the food sales tax there. And I, yeah, I would concur over, that let, let if you stair-stepped a tax reduction uh, that's really big, it's probably a safer proposition than it is to immediately jump off the well, table. Well, it's like what Eric just mentioned about North Carolina. Like it happened, it's happening over time. Okay. And it allows the system. Plus the politicians get credit for a tax cut every, every year. year. I, yes. I think it's genius. Yes. Okay, let's Absolutely. skip to your agenda on workforce and education. <laughs> There's a proposal here for a new tax credit for employers who participate. Uh, it would go to companies that participate in hiring uh, and having an apprenticeship program. Sure. This is trying to develop a workforce in various fields. You yeah. want to explain that, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the recommendations we, we released, uh, I think it was last October, a workforce study and recommendations uh, for the legislature to consider. We actually provided that to the interim workforce committee this this uh, fall, early winter, um, with I think there's 20 or so, 25 recommendations that this legislature can do to help improve the workforce climate in the state of Kansas. One of those is this apprenticeship tax credit. Kudos to Governor Kelly for creating an office of apprenticeship. Alan's mm-hmm. been heavily involved in that. Uh, I think that goal, uh, based on what she has said and the conversations that we've had with the administration, is to elevate the role and importance of apprenticeships. They've largely been viewed as you know union only in the past, but 
keeping your employees well-trained and up-to-date with technology uh, not only helps production and, and output of the business, but also increases the level of safety of the employees. Um, the, the apprenticeship tax credit is, uh, many states have those in place. Ours that we recommended would be based off of Alabama or South Carolina um, from, our, from our report um, that, that recognizes those employers who are paying for the investment of that training uh, for those employees, but then also apprenticeships to be registered and, and recognized. There are steps once the employee achieves certain objectives, then their salaries increase. And so they have benchmarks that, that, that they basically have built in motivation to go through the apprenticeship program as well, because it's financially better for them to do so. So it, it's just to help offset the cost. The proposal that we offered was $1,250 per apprentice up to 10, 10 apprentices. So $1,200, $12,500 a year, uh, mm-hmm. For okay, uh, Kansas. I would say yeah. Kansas ranks very low. We may be forty seventh in the number of pr- apprenticeships per capita. Why that is, I don't know. I'll give, uh, like Eric said, I'll give Governor Kelly a lot of credit for creating the office. Hired a, a firebrand, Shonda Atwater, who's doing a great job. And and the apprenticeships are not all traditional trades, which are very important. But they're also they can be teachers, they can be IT, they can be healthcare. So they're not all just. Uh, it's not well, plumbers and electricians, which are very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can be well beyond that, and there's no reason Kansas can't improve. Mr. Cobb, if you want to just touch on an education issue, I know it's on the agenda. It suggests that y'all, the chamber, supports uh, basically public spend, public dollars devoted to private education, vouchers, whatever you want to call it. Uh, why would the chamber be uh, endorsing s- such a thing? Because we're for all of the above. We need better students. I don't. We don't care whether they're homeschooled, private school, uh, parochial school, religious schools, or public schools. We need all of them to succeed. And I certainly will disagree with some of those that, oh, if you have uh, private school funding, that it hurts the public schools. Like competition works everywhere. And we, we're, we're all of the above. It's not terribly complicated. Well, children are not widgets. You know, you're, when you're trying to make the best, highest quality widget at the lowest cost, well, that's not exactly what schools... But let's focus on the students then and not on the institution. Okay. So what is best for the student? And sometimes it's public education. Sometimes it's private. Sometimes it's homeschool. Mm-hmm. And it's all it said all of the above, and that I I know I think your agenda also included something about making sure we had good teachers in all of these classrooms. So do you, you all have an idea about how to go about that? Uh, not any specific proposal. Um, I. We'll look at our language and see what it says. See what you're referring to. But uh, real quick on the school I thought choice. I saw that in here. Is that, I don't. I, well, if it's not, maybe it was just an oversight. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> yes, I'll, we, I'll we need better and more teachers. And so yeah, there's a teacher shortage. Some of, yeah, but there's yeah, a, sh- that's a, there's a shortage thing. of everything. Yeah, a shortage of everything. Yeah. Um, and, and is it, it does it, uh, it's like I, you know, maybe I spend too much time on Twitter on the KS Ledge feed. It's there's a whole bunch of reasons that are teachers different than welders or anything else about as far as why is, there's a shortage. It's mm-hmm. there's a shortage of everything. Yeah, but yeah. I, we I want, see that. I see that bullet point that you're talking about. Yeah, I know there's been some efforts in the past to recognize teachers. There's been some efforts in the past under Governor Brownback to relax the standards of certification requirements for teachers to come in. That because if you were a successful business owner for 50 years. 
because you didn't have that certificate, you couldn't bring in your world, real world business experience and teach a business class in high school. You had to go through an education program certified by the state. So those standards were, were relaxed. So yes, do we need to have more support and, and do what we need to do for teachers? Absolutely. What, what does that entail? There are Maybe times you can take some agenda. of your income tax cut money and and put it into public education, or maybe they got enough money that it just needs to be reallocated. Well, I could would argue that reallocating yeah. dollars would would be one way to do it. Um, but um, but to your point, there was a on, on vouchers and school choice. There was a report that came out this past fall from Florida that shows that school choice in Florida has actually increased outcomes for public school students as well. So hmm. a rising tide raises all boats. Competition raises all outcomes. So I think uh, there are there are signs that it's um, uh, definitely working. And post COVID, the polling numbers on that issue are higher than they've ever been, Republican and Democrat. Maybe it's just the rhetoric in the Capitol they hear that when people are talking about these issues, they they oftentimes speak in negative terms about public schools. They just slam public schools and and hold up private education sure, as or, the answer, or slam private schools saying they destroy public education. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Some of our polling indicates, and this is part of the analysis, but one of the conversations has been, well, if you have in rural Kansas, you're not going to have rural, you're going to have choice because there's not enough students. But there's some polling data that indicates that the public in the rural Kansas support school choice because they feel like some of their folks have moved away Mm -hmm. to go to better schools and the way they can to respond to that is to have school choice. So mm. it should be a broad-based conversation. Again, I don't know else to say it. It's all of the above. Mm. Let's have better public schools, better, uh, uh, more choice. Let's skip to the legal part of your agenda. Sure. I don't know if there's a, a, anything you guys want to emphasize, but one of them was about reinstating uh, econ- uh, financial caps on non-economic damages for pain and suffering. I think this is a Kansas Supreme Supreme Court decision you guys dislike. Uh, and so this would limit business liability. Yeah. Right? When when your non-economic damages are typically your pain and suffering, your non-economic loss, you're not your wages. It's your it's your the economic loss that you would suffer. It's the, the agony, side, not right? the real dollars you missed right. out on future income, all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, you might have a oftentimes you'll see the, you know, the big settlements. Somebody receives $20 million and, and it's $750,000 in damages, but, you know, 19.25 in, in pain and suffering. Right. Um, and the legislature felt it was the best public policy for the state to have that in place. And our Supreme Court came in and said, nope, those are unconstitutional. You can't do that. And so, yeah, we do support reinstating okay. caps on economic damages. About the only approach that we have left at this point is a constitutional amendment on that. Um, but we, uh, we, the, the states that are pro-trial lawyer, you look at the insurance premiums. You want to talk about your property taxes being high. Wait till your insurance premiums start going up as these cases start kicking in, which they're now starting to go through the, the court system. We're hearing from our attorneys on this one that you're, it's starting to become an issue. Um, so, yeah, we do, uh, in our opinion, feel that we need to have limits on on the non-economic losses f- for individuals. Under human resources, there are a couple items that caught my eye. One of them was about supporting criminal justice reform uh, that – uh, offers people an opportunity who have a criminal record to reenter the workforce that could that could help with the workforce shortages. Mm-hmm. Another one was to encourage federal immigration reform and oppose any penalties for businesses uh, that maybe accidentally hire an illegal worker. 
So you want to, you guys want to touch on those two? Uh, sure. Yeah. Maybe, we, like if you accidentally hire somebody, should you um, in, in the? Uh, I say accidentally in air quotes because come on, how do you accidentally do that? Well, I think because of uh, this gets into identity, identity theft and a bunch of other things. But if you're uh, yeah. particularly, let's say some of the larger employers in Kansas that hire a lot of immigrants, do you think they're going to take a chance on shutting their whole thing down? Sure. By hiring illegal. Uh, yeah, I do. They're, they're not. No, they're not going to take that chance. No, so and Packers, the Packers aren't going to. You, you go in there and, oh, it could be very persuasive fake IDs, I guess. Yeah, well, absolutely. that's the thing. Should they be held uh, held liable for it? And criminal justice reform, uh, it'll go, go back to that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Trying is, to get people with who maybe have a felony record from 20 years ago. And it, it, it impacts expung- their opportunity to get a job. Right. Look at expungement and other things. Uh, I just learned the other day that. If you uh, get convicted of driving while suspended, mm-hmm. this is not a DUI, driving while suspended, five days in jail. We got to change that. I mean, five days in jail if you're convicted, mm-hmm. uh, driving while suspended. Yeah, that does sound harsh. Yeah, yeah. we submitted a letter uh, for Representative Finney a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, on that issue um, to help relax those types of standards. I mean, did it get any traction? Um, it was an interim. I don't. I didn't hear anything last session about it. So it was uh-huh. the fall of. I guess it would be twenty one. Um, and didn't really hear much about it last year. Um, but yeah, when you look at people that are incarcerated, the opportunity for their lifetime earnings drops significantly. I think the yeah. statistic I remember is thirty five, forty percent. And especially on the nonviolent criminal side, like why are we ruining people's lives for for you know fine them? Right? They, pay, they but, paid their debt. Yeah. Um, hopefully they're reformed, etc. And I think it's ongoing conversation that actually connects the right and the left, where I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. agreement on it. And they've done a lot. They've, yeah, that could be, those could be bipartisan bills. Oh, yeah, no, no question. And Kansas yeah. is actually a leader with the workforce center that was created at the Lansing Correctional uh, Facility uh, to create a job training program there that we were supportive of and another, uh, a, a number of local chambers were. Let's talk about regulatory affairs. And one of them, and I know you guys have talked about this in the state house in the past, is that you're irritated with cities and counties perhaps banning those plastic bags that seem to blow around every town in the country. You know, the billions and billions of skinny little plastic bags. Uh, and you don't want to ban those, although I could see merit in getting rid of them, right? So what, what's up? But what's up, Chamber of Commerce? Up. Right. You think that's the case. Yeah, I, yeah. Might, I might even prefer. No, I, it's, I, don't, I don't want a paper bag when I go to the grocery store. But You need to bring your own satchel. It could have Chamber of Commerce which written then, on the side. But COVID is all over those those things. So you can't have those. And those. Uh, what was the, I don't know what, what you're talking about what there. The but let's get back on point. Why do you yeah. hate? Why do you want to keep these plastic bags? <laughs> why do you hate? Why do we want to keep them? Uh, we want consumers to choose and and it's a government intervention of business practices to decide what whether we have plastic cups plastic straws plastic bags whatever if you have one city that bans them Mm -hmm. and then one city that doesn't or my competitor is outside of the city limits in the same county and doesn't have to comply with those restrictions it could put me at a competitive advantage add more cost to my business if i'm held to those standards but also the bill that we're working on this year we've had it redrafted that's more broad on cities and counties banning consumer merchandise because city of wichita is trying to close pet stores uh, that are legally operated businesses on behalf of people who feel bad that these puppies might be raised in puppy mills with no evidence that they are. And so they're going to go close 
multiple pet stores. Are in you the city just making that up, Mr. Stafford? No, I'm dead no, serious. It's, it's like it's a. You, you've I, got I don't the think city the city council, council will do it, but there's been credible folks. Who said, so no, that's the emphasis on other businesses mm-hmm. mandating. Well, yeah. you know, city, okay, so cities and counties can can man, can can ban strip clubs, right? They can regulate them. I don't think they can ban can them. Ban First Amendment. Hmm. Strip clubs are officially not a chamber issue. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good deal. That was such a relief. <laughs> we don't have to talk no, about that. But you've seen cities in, in, in other states go out and say you can't buy gas-powered lawnmowers. Well, why? Hmm. So, if There's that's a, a bunch of liberals, right? That's not going to happen in Kansas. What's your next question? That's not going to happen. <laughs> so when you talk about regulatory affairs, one of them was to oppose government competition with the private sector. What yeah. can you can you offer some examples of what we're talking about? Yeah, the most recent one, honestly, uh, it, it was actually a recommendation in the Alvarez and Marshall efficiency study um, from to a few years expand back. the Department of Corrections training program. But what De- Department of Corrections has been doing, um, they introduce a bill that allows them to sell all products and services that they might make. Well, it just so happens in the process of training their inmates, they are wanting to manufacture or build manufactured homes and mm-hmm. then sell them, which competes with the private sector. So we've had to go in an opposition to the Department of Corrections. There's a difference between training and competition. And creating a product with labor that's being paid at inmate rates when you're not held to the same standards as businesses are and you're going out and directly competing with the private Why couldn't there be a middle ground of, say, a trailer manufacturing company uh, has a site across the street from a prison and and the inmates come over there and work on We have those companies as members where it is this combination of training they they go to the facility manufacturing facility during the day go back to a mm-hmm. medium to minimal uh, correctional facility. And then they're hiring. But that would pull out the profit model sure. from the Department of Corrections. Yeah. And it's That's, providing a public service. It's yeah. like when you get to the extreme kind of the Shawshank Redemption extreme <laughs> where then you got a problem. Uh the other that movie's where the guy dug through the wall, I think. It is. Yes. Yeah. Um, don't we don't tell, we definitely don't want that. Don't tell me you haven't seen that a hundred times. Uh <laughs> the uh, probably the the best example is more in the urban areas where sometimes you have non non government owned health centers like workout centers yeah, competing with the private sector like is that the right use of taxpayer money when you've got a private sector alternative if you're in a smaller town and there is no market alternative okay yeah let's, let's have the community center with some you know weight weight lifting machines there's a very nice taxpayer let funded me let me get this straight let's go back to fitness clubs <laughs> hang on we're you guys are taking sides with genesis fitness club perhaps the largest chain of fitness clubs in kansas which does not want the YWCA's. He wants the no, tax breaks about, that YWCA's. We're talking about gover- government, not the. Non-profit. Oh, I thought you were talking about. Uh, we're talking about private government. competition yeah, between government. that and nonprofit. Yeah, no. Government uh, nonprofit competition is an issue, but the bigger issue is probably uh, government. When the, mm-hmm. the city of Shawnee decides we're going to have a work as a rec center. Yeah. yeah, and well, you've got not just Genesis. Look at downtown Lenexa. Look at Topeka. But How Genesis fitness clubs—they're the people that have spent gajillions of dollars trying to lobby the legislature for a special tax break. Uh, and so that always seemed odd to me. But if but if Lawrence wants to build a community center where people can come and jog around a track or go lift some weights, that is the type of competition with a private sector that the chamber might object to? It might object to it, but the rock, chalk is, rock Chalk is a good example. I mean, you have a fitness center that if you live in Lawrence, you can have access to, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
But what about the fitness and are they paying property taxes on rock chalk? No. So, oh, you mean the facility? Are they yeah, paying? I'm yeah. paying taxes as a right. Lawrence resident to fund that yes. operation. And the business is paying a bit private business. A private gym is paying property taxes to keep their facility open. That's relying upon mm -hmm. membership dues that are relying. So it'd be more of a competitive environment. Tax. It's the local governments try to create broadband things like that. It's it's mm. like an ongoing conversation, ongoing view of things. And it's uh, it's unfair competition. I hate to use the word unfair uh, with the Kansas legislature. But I, but I think, too, uh, it might be good to back up here just as a broad overview. You've asked a couple questions about some of the items in our legislative agenda. Mm -hmm. They're intended to be, in some cases, broad. To give us flexibility on what of our what are our principles, knowing that issues might arise, like uh, say for example, there's there's a regulatory um, bullet point in here that uh, prevent, prevent imposition of burdensome state yeah. and federal regulations on business and industry. That's that very broad. Used yeah. to be a bullet point dealing with the lesser prairie chicken back when that was an issue back in what 2012, 2013, and here we are under the Biden administration. All of a sudden, it's now listed as an endangered species. Poor again. bird, poor bird, poor people that have to comply with the regulations that the EPA is going to try to impose on them, and the impact on their land and the costs associated with regu being regulated by that. So uh, we do, but the banking industry, financial industry, credit unions, like the, the the regulations that they have to comply with, whether it's Dodd Frank or other areas, that item was that bullet point was changed to be more broad. So we do try to have some flexibility under all those sections, HR, energy, because there are so many policies that impact the business community um, that that uh, that are introduced every every year in the but legislature. Two final, two final issues here. I, one of the, your agenda items is to try to get the powers that be to better regulate utility costs uh, to make those rates I guess for industrial and residential, more competitive with surrounding states. So can you just touch on what the problem is and why why isn't a solution more at hand? Yeah, uh, good question. I think there's been three independent studies, one of them funded by the legislature to determine exactly what the problem is and what the so potential solutions are, and there aren't really any clear answers. Um, so, But Kansas is the highest in the region in terms of our residential, commercial, and industrial uh, costs uh, for electricity. Um, our study that we had conducted this past fall, as well as the legislative study, have largely blamed it on excessive transmission buildout. Um, you know, we have abundant wind energy being produced in the state. We're producing nearly 40% more energy than what we're using. A lot of that infrastructure is built into our rate base, but we're exporting the energy. Which so we can great send the wind export. power to Chicago. Yes, and and okay. anywhere else. Which, Wait, why should we pay for it? Yeah. That's a beneficial thing. Let's let the folks in Chicago pay for that's it. That's an excellent question. Which, so the sub-question would be the Kansas Corporation Commission regulates this. What is the problem with having the KCC say, okay, you're building that $800 million transmission line in southeast Kansas. That's going to be of some benefit to Kansas residents. We'll say that the consumers in Kansas have to pay 25% of that, but the investor-owned utilities that are putting up that line and yeah. want that line have to pay for the rest. Uh, nothing necessarily, but why should Kansas pay for any of it if we're not going to use any well, of it? Well, if they're Obviously, getting some, some benefit. Economic, if yeah, there's, there's some, some benefit. That's, whatever that percentage Part of is. the complication is, and this is going to be kind of a non-answer, is it is complicated because you've got the Southwest Power Pool, mm -hmm. which don't want to get into that on the podcast. you got the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission and the KCC, and some things, the, the, the uh, jurisdictions overlap. 
some things KCC can have a say about. Sometimes they don't. They can have an opinion. So this is partly a federal, state, and regional issue, particularly with the Southwest Power Pool. And I will say one one change that FERC just approved in SPP. Um, Too many acronyms. It came from Kansas. Uh, Southwest Power Pool. Yeah, Southwest Power Pool. Uh, Sunflower Energy here in Kansas uh-huh. pushed FERC to adopt a waiver process that if it shows that a project like a wind development project in Southwest Kansas is going to provide greater benefit to the whole region versus just the state that a waiver can be applied for and the costs of that project associated with the, associated with that project can be divided up among the participating states of the, in our case, Southwest power pool. Pretty big multi-state region. Yes. Yeah. And that should address some of the issues mm-hmm. that we have, but the, Stuff that's already been done, that's already built into our our costs. So there there are efforts um, to try to alleviate that, but as Alan said, it's very complicated. A lot of that is is regionally regulated and federally regulated, so it's kind of tough to get through. Last question: The chamber opposes expansion of eligibility for Medicaid. Mr. Cobb, please explain yourself. Well, we have a very large Medicaid program now. Uh, Medicaid is generally not viewed very favorably by much of anybody, including the recipients. Why expand something that doesn't seem to have been working very well? And does the emphasis, and it's not all just dollars, but the emphasis on expanding a program that doesn't work, does it take away political energy from actually making a Medicaid program that works better? And the answer is yes. And there's lots of studies out there about expanded Medicaid, almost always cost overruns. And it does take people off the private insurance market, which most public health officials would say the private health insurance provides a better insurance product. The other thing, Medicaid is not health care. Medicaid is a way to pay for health care. So are there other ways to provide health care for those that need it on the lower income scale it's it is uh like most things whether it's school choice like there's a black and white the way that it works out on twitter or in the legislature and it's not that easy yeah <laughs> all right I, I think we have to leave it there i want to thank the kansas chambers uh two influential employees alan cobb the president and eric stafford a lobbyist um, look forward to uh, uh good policy debates in the 2023 legislative session and i'll see you there thank you tim thank and you. thanks for the what the kansas reflector does uh, i appreciate it i don't have to pay a fee for your stuff yeah the price is right